It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a hey, it's not over yet. Our season is dead yet, Rico Bronia. As the New York Mets defeat the Miami Marlins after the home opener at City Field, they end up winning the game by a final score of nine to three. We'll go through the game. We'll go through being at City Field on opening day. And obviously the other big story that we as Met fans need to discuss, and that's the fact that Buck Showalter hates Francisco Alvarez. So we're not going to start there. Let's start with the good. The New York Mets won a baseball game, and that was necessary because in the first two innings of this game, I was not feeling great. You may have heard me because I did an update at 2 o'clock on WFAN for Rich Ackerman right before Craig went on, and it was not a very positive update. Because think about how this game starts. Just go through it in your mind. Tyler McGill is fine. Nothing negative to say about him. But Brandon Nimmo starts the game with a nine-pitch walk, and it feels like 2022 all over again. Brandon Nimmo has a long at-bat. Brandon Nimmo draws a walk. You even had Nimmo stealing a base. And he's one of those guys who I think is going to benefit from not only the new rule, but it seems like Brandon realizes, hey, maybe I should be more aggressive. He was not an aggressive base stealer a year ago. Maybe the success rates going up around baseball, the bags being bigger, maybe that's instilling confidence in Brandon Nimmo because, boy, if Brandon Nimmo can start stealing bases to go along with the fact that he gets on base 38, 39, dare I say 40% of the time, all of a sudden, he becomes one of the most dynamic leadoff hitters in baseball. So he starts the game off with a walk. He steals second base. There's a runner on second and one out against the immortal Edward Cabrera. And guess what? Much like the first two games against the Brewers, Francisco Lindor did nothing. Pete Alonso, nothing. And here's the topper. In the second inning against Cabrera, Remember, the same Edward Cabrera who walked six guys when he faced the Mets last weekend. He walks Jeff McNeil on four pitches. He walks Mark Canna on five pitches. You have two on and nobody out, but the part of the Met batting order that instills some fear into our hearts, not opponents, the bottom third comes up. Daniel Vogelback, Eduardo Escobar, and Tomas Nito. Vogelback strikes out. Eduardo Escobar strikes out and promptly, and you knew this was coming, here's his first booze of 2023. And let me give my fellow Met fan a little bit of credit about that. Eduardo Escobar was not booed during the introductions. Max Scherzer was not booed during the introductions. Nobody was booed during the introductions. We came into opening day wanting to cheer. No one goes to the ballpark looking to boo. But when Eduardo Escobar is striking out in his first at-bat back at City Field after a brutal road trip where he took an off day to get his swing figured out, the crowd was none too happy. And then a guy I feel bad for. Pete, I know you may not agree with me on this. I feel bad for Tomas Nito because it's not his fault he's starting. He's not the one deciding to stick his name in the lineup. That's Buck Showalter's fault. So when Nito comes up with first and second, two outs, after Vogelback did nothing and Eduardo Escobar did nothing, we all knew Tomas Nito was going to do nothing. And I even said to my dad sitting next to me, I said, let me tell you something. I don't want anybody booing Tomas Nito because Tomas Nito is what he is. 
Like, we're not confused by him as an offensive player. Eduardo Escobar is a little bit different. We have higher expectations for the bat of Eduardo Escobar. He's making a bunch of money. He had a big September last year. Tomas Nito, though, I feel bad for him because Buck Showalter, and we'll rip his ass coming up in a little bit, is actually trying to make us all hate Tomas Nito. So, Pete, make me a promise. You're not going to hate on Tomas Nito, okay? It's not, like you said, it's not Nito's fault. I will hate a lot of other things, but Tomas Nito has done nothing wrong. And to be honest with you, he got a nice base hit today. He did. Uh, he, did. <laughs> he didn't do it with bases loaded two outs. He did it with, you know, leading off an inning. But still, you're right. You're right. But when he grounds out and the Mets now start this game 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position, I got a headache. I got, I got to be honest with you. And I got a headache because now I'm in a bad mood for three different reasons as I sat there right around 2.05 Eastern time for Mets home opener. And let's go through the three reasons why I was annoyed and maybe a lot of people listening were annoyed. Number one, we are freezing our asses off, okay? The game time temperature was 56 degrees and there was a constant wind throughout the ballpark. Obviously, certain sections are going to get the wind a little bit less than others. So maybe you were at the ball at the ball game on today or whenever you're listening. Maybe yesterday. We're recording this right after the game. I just got home, so recording Friday. Maybe you didn't get the wind. I got the wind, and I'm freezing my ass off. And I got these electrical hand warmers that I brought to the ballpark, and it ain't helping. And all I could think about was the fact that yesterday it was 80 degrees we could have had opening day in 80 degree weather but because the bullpen was ravaged and because there was like a slight chance of rain at five o'clock the the brainiacs at major league baseball and the new york mets and i get why the mets did it they wanted an off day okay fine they said let's not play a game meanwhile it's overcast it's cold it's windy. It was not a very comfortable day. Now, you combine that with the fact that Buck Showalter hates Francisco Alvarez, basically thinks he's a useless piece of crap. Then you combine that with the fact that the Met offense is doing everything it can to inflict pain on us. It was a very bad first hour of opening day. And then think about the third inning. Right Now, Tyler McGill's pitching great. I don't want to leave him out. We'll get to him a little bit later on on what he did. But third inning, 0-0, and again, Edward Cabrera can't throw strikes. He walks Brandon Nimmo. He walks Starling Marte. He walks Francisco Lindor. He walks the bases loaded and threw three strikes. So think about that. He throws 15 pitches. 12 of them are out of the strike zone. The Mets have the bases loaded, nobody out, with Pete Alonso coming up. And even I, as negative as I was feeling in the moment, I'm thinking, all right, this is it. I mean, finally, the Mets are going to break through and they're going to score runs. <laughs> Pete Alonso strikes out looking. Jeff McNeil strikes out looking. Now I turn to my dad and I'm like, are you effing kidding me? They have the bases loaded and nobody out against the guy who has now walked six guys in two plus innings. He's walked six guys. He walked six guys in his last start against the Mets. You've got your best hitters coming up and you've got nothing. And then you just point to the sky and you thank the baseball gods because the way the Mets scratched out these two runs was just the luck of the Irish. 
Mark Canna draws a walk. It was a good at-bat, so I give Canna credit for that. Then they take Edward Cabrera out the game. For some reason, I don't understand this with Skip Schumacher. He goes to a righty in Brazabon when he's got five lefties in his bullpen. Five of them. Vogelback can't hit lefties. And if the Mets pinch hit, they're taking Vogelback out the game in the third inning. I thought that was bad managing by Skip Schumacher. That's just my opinion. I'm not complaining. I'm happy about it. But that didn't make sense to me. Again, you have five lefties in your bullpen. Vogelback is like a 140 hitter against lefties. And even if Buck makes the move and says, fine, let's play checkers or chess, you've just eliminated Vogelback from the game in the third inning. So I thought that was a weird move. And Daniel Vogelback hits a ground ball to first base. And for some reason, Brazabon starts running to cover first and then stops. And you could see this happening. All of a sudden, nobody's at first base. And Daniel Vogelbach beats it out for an infield hit, run number two, two nothing Mets. You could not design a cheaper way for the Mets to score two runs than the way they scored those two runs in the third inning. Not complaining, just saying. And then, of course, Eduardo Escobar grounds out with the bases loaded. And here's louder booze. So it went from booze to louder booze. I personally am not a booer, but I'm not going to sit here and reprimand people for booing. I get upset when people get undeserved booze. So years ago, when the Mets traded for Piazza, Mike Piazza would hear booze in his first few months as a Met. And it would drive me nuts because Piazza was hitting like 330, 340. But he wasn't getting enough big hits. And I guess the expectations for a guy that was just acquired was he can't make outs. And I got annoyed about that. And I would actually argue with people in the stands about why they were booing Mike Piazza. I'm not arguing with anybody who's booing Eduardo Escobar. How could I? The guy is sitting under 100. He's leaving worlds on base. I mean, think about it. After he grounded out in the third inning, He had left just on his own five guys on base through two innings. But either way, the Mets gave Tyler McGill a lead, and McGill was outstanding in this game. He really was. Let me give him a little bit of love before we get back to the offense. Gets the first two guys out in the first inning, gets through some trouble. Gets the first two guys out in the second inning, gets through some trouble. Gives up a double to a rise with one out. So that was a tricky spot with Soler and Cooper coming up. Gets through that. And then maybe the most impressive part, with two outs and nobody on in the fourth inning, Gene Segura, who's a Met killer, and I thought he was going to become another version of a Met killer because he hits that line drive off of McGill. And McGill crashes down to the ground. I don't know about you, Pete. I thought he was dead for a second. Oh, I yeah. Was I was concerned we weren't going to see him, that that was going to be it for him. Yeah, he's pitching a great game, and all I thought was, I think we've actually ran out of pitchers for the season. (laughs) I know, I know. And again, I'm thinking about the game, and then I'm thinking, oh yeah, so after the game is over, is it Joey Lucchese? Like, who the hell is it? But McGill pops up, throws a couple of warm-up pitches, and even though he's staying in the game, there's still a level of concern. Is he going to get through this inning, and is whatever is bothering him, because I, I still don't know what hit him. I assume it was his knee, but maybe you saw it on TV. It was his leg, his foot, whatever the hell it was. I don't know. That maybe it stiffens up. So just because he's staying in the game doesn't necessarily mean we're out of the woods. He gets Jesus Sanchez to pop up. He gets a big double play ball in the fifth inning, pitches a one 2 three, sixth inning. Just a brilliant performance by Tyler McGill. 
His last performance was about battling. This was just Tyler being great. Six innings, 88 pitches, one pitch clock violation that turned out not to matter because right after the pitch clock violation, I think is when he struck out Jazz Chisholm, his final pitch of the game. So he didn't even let it bother him. It was almost like, because Tyler McGill's Mr. Cool. It was almost like with a 2-2 count, he said, eh, I'm good. I'll take a violation. I'm all right. We'll get, we'll give him ball three. Let me take a deep breath. Let me take a rest and I'll strike his ass out anyway. And that's what he did. Now, quick thing about Jazz Chisholm, because this drove me nuts. I don't understand this. Jazz Chisholm is at the plate in the first inning. The Marlins have a base runner because Garrett Cooper blooped the base hit to right. So Jazz Chisholm's up, runner on first, two outs, and he shows bunt. Okay. I mean, I understand showing bunt. Eduardo Escobar was shading him farther over. He was playing really deep. Jazz gets a bunt down. It's an easy base hit. I'm not even one to argue he's the cleanup hitter. He's paid the drive-in runs. No, if if they've given him a base hit, go take the base hit. Two on, two out for Avasal Garcia. That's fine. I got no problem with that. Shows the bunt on the second pitch. Shows the bunt on the third pitch. Here's what just boggled my mind. That count was three and one. And he showed bunt again. What is what that? You're in a batter's count. It's three and one. There's a good chance you're going to get a cookie and you're showing bunt. I just, I didn't understand that at all. It was called a strike. And then on three, two, he flies out to left field. So he didn't give himself a chance to drive the ball, maybe rip a two run home run like he did against DeGrom three years ago. I remember that in April, Jake hit a, uh, gave up a bomb to Jazz Chisholm. I'm not sure if that was his first major league home run, but it was, it was early in his career. It was 2021 when Jake was pitching and he's showing bunt made no sense.